Taking It to the Streets is all about advancing firefighter safety and operational integrity for the fire service through provocative insights and dynamic discussions dedicated to both the art and science of firefighting and the traditions of the fire service. The focus at Taking It to the Street continues to be straightforward, street-level talk with intelligent, stimulating, and provocative insights and dynamic discussion with interactive dialogue and, most importantly, listener participation. Just like around the kitchen table or in the day room over a cup of coffee at 0230 after a good run. And now, the latest edition of Taking It to the Streets with your host, Christopher Nall. Welcome to this edition of Buildings on Fires, Taking It to the Streets, on your street, in your city, across the country, and around the world. Taking it to the Streets is a monthly radio talk show program and podcast on fireengineering.com, blog talk radio, and also now uh, as a video portion uh, that's available on YouTube. I'm your host, Christopher Naum. As always, a heartfelt welcome to our dedicated and loyal program listeners and to our ever-expanding following of our newest listeners, as well as those that are downloading and listening to our program on their and your media devices. Taking it to the streets is all about advancing operational excellence and decisive engagement for the fire service, focusing in those insights for dynamic discussions on the built environment, and also the art and science of firefighting and the traditions of the fire service. On our edition of Buildings on Fire Taking to the Streets, this edition will be focusing in on some of the things that we've been talking about over the last uh, number of episodes, well into 2023. If you go back into the uh, fireengineering.com uh, podcasting programs, you'll find within those archives a number of programs that connect uh, directly with our conversation here. We've talked about building facts modeling. We've talked about some issues dealing with the first due. And again, a, a number of different programs uh, specific to reading the building. In this particular episode, we're going to talk about uh, the application of era and vintage. And era and vintage, just in a, in a very concise uh, uh, focal point, just talks about the age and when a building was relatively built. It doesn't have to be precise, although we'll talk about how sometimes we do have precise building intel available to us upon arrival on the first due, either through... Uh, building information management uh, data, building intel, face-to-face -face contact, and sometimes, again, there's going to be uh, building indicators uh, on the outside facade of that perimeter wall that's going to indicate uh, when that building was built that should trigger a whole series of Q&As um, and also other insights and questions that one would perform on the size up on that initial arrival, either as a company or command officer, that should set a number of different uh, uh, functions into the works and into operations that are relevant to the application of that building's age, its era and vintage, and its construction, its layout, its fire dynamics in terms of its predictability performance that we, again, continue to talk about. But more importantly, era and vintage specifically will impact and uh, possibly direct fireground decision-making. And that's, that's the direct uh, connotation and, and the, the dot that we are uh, uh, trying to 
uh, come across and really trying to reinforce it as a model and a concept. So it certainly isn't the first time that many of you that have been following our program may have heard me talk about era and vintage, but we're going to talk about them a little bit more specifically here on this particular episode, a little bit more concise on the application of building classifications coming out of the NFPA 220 standard, but we'll also give you a little bit of a perspective on a couple of other pieces here, talking about the importance of how era and vintage and how we've conceptualized this, again, well over 20 years ago, a little bit of background history and how it comes together. So again, sit back, enjoy the information. A couple of quick notes here too, and I'm probably jumping ahead of my, of my particular script, but we will have available across a number of different social media platforms here at fireengineering.com. Um, some either screenshots, some additional information, supplemental information, but more importantly, I think some of the screenshots of specific uh, insights data, a couple of uh, key takeaways here that, uh, again, you'll find both on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, uh, on Instagram, and a couple of other different sites, uh, a Firefighter Nation, and also some things that'll show up uh, within the uh, Clarion um, um, stable of uh, programming. So keep an eye out for social media, both the fire engineering side as well as on my side, and we'll talk a little bit more about that going into our program. First, a couple of uh, timely insights here. Over the last 24 hours, there have been a, a number of events that have occurred. Unfortunately, many who've been uh, listening and, and following uh, some of the information online, um, Memphis, Tennessee Fire Department and the A, uh, excuse me, the IAFF Local 1784 um, are reporting a, a firefighter line of duty death. Actually, they just reported out that Lieutenant Jeffrey Norman lost his life uh, during the conduct of operations at a reported vacant residential house fire uh, within the last 24 hours. The uh, initial reports are that the fire originated in an external exterior outside dumpster in which the vacant building was undergoing some type of either renovation or alterations. That fire, again, based upon current reports, um, ended up communicating into the structure in which uh, the conduct of operations were being performed. Uh, three other firefighters were injured and are being hospitalized, and they are reporting a line of duty death of that lieutenant during the conduct of those operations. So again, our thoughts and prayers uh, go out to uh, the entire uh, fire service family within uh, the city of Memphis, Tennessee, and also the surrounding areas uh, that uh, provide protection and service to the uh, the Memphis region. Additionally, uh, in Reistertown, Maryland, Baltimore County, Maryland, a three-alarm commercial fire in a auto parts store resulted in a brief uh, May Day and near miss during the conduct of operations. Uh, and again, we have again in our archives here on fireengineering.com within the podcast programs, we did a three-part series talking about commercial fires, commercial risks, and uh, also we will have some additional follow-up. So take a look at some of those items. There's a lot of insights coming out of a number of NIOSH line of duty death reports, as well as some insights out of the IAFC's near-miss reporting system. So keep an eye out for that. And then lastly, as far as the last 24, some timely items, the uh, NTSB preliminary report just was issued here on the March 24th, 2023 fire that occurred in West Reading, Pennsylvania, dealing with the RM Palmer chocolate factory fire and explosion that resulted in seven civilian deaths 
and initial reports are based upon that preliminary is that a gas leak from a fractured pipe fitting uh, may have been a part of the contributor and that pipe fitting was installed in 1982 subsequently had some other failures in the early 2000s but a lot of interesting aspects again a series of type three and four buildings within that uh, particular commercial complex uh, of uh, of the uh, chocolate factory and so forth and uh, the resulting seven civilian uh, deaths that occurred to it. Lastly, before we get into our program, just a couple of teasers for you. Uh, some exciting uh, initial announcements and I guess just using, using the word teaser for some forthcoming activity that you're sure to be looking forward to here on fireengineering.com. We're working behind the scenes and laying out some actions here for some new programs. I think, first of all, we're looking at uh, our current podcast that you're listening to here on Buildings on Fires, Taking It to the Streets. We are in the process of doing some rebranding primarily, and again, we're in the initial stages of that for a better alignment with some of the new series that we are currently working about and on. So just sort of a teaser of what we hope to have um, coming about in the next uh, couple of months here. We have our Buildings on Fire videogram series that we're working on. We have been talking about doing this. These are going to be some short version video clips specific to building construction issues affecting the fire service and the job. Again, short duration, two, three minutes in, in length to really provide a robust uh, visual indication on how to read buildings, looking at both internal and external aspects. But that's going to be, again, Buildings on Fire, a view from the street, reading buildings. That will couple up with Buildings on Fire, reading the buildings, 10 minutes in the streets. This will be a more encompassing and expanded version of about a 10-minute video series talking about some issues uh, in a more in-depth standpoint that will correlate back to the shorter version clips. Along with that, we're working on developing a Buildings on Fire FACT series, F-A-C-T-S, which we'll talk a little bit more about, and that FACTS model deals with first arriving construction, tactics, and safety. Again, these will be PDF formatted. They may be uh, um, in the form of uh, printable poster documents that you can put around the fire station, around the firehouse, utilizing training at the company or the personal level, but again, it'll be, um, focusing in on building construction related issues, talking about first arriving construction tactics and safeties, and again, a whole variety of very in-depth aspects that will follow up uh, on our shorter clips. And then along with that, we've got a couple of other things dealing with, and I'll just throw out the terms, you've heard me talk about this before, Fireground Architecture and the Fireground Architect. So a lot of really cool things coming up here that are all aligning. We're correlating and coordinate that through Clarion Events, Fire Rescue Group, Fire Engineering Magazine, fireengineering.com, FDIC, and Firefighter Nation. So just look forward as we move into the fall timeframe here, next couple of months, some very robust, focused in, resources and information that's going to be accurate, timely, um, technical in nature to help do your job better at any level of responsibility, whether it be at the firefighter, the company officer, or at the command level, uh, and even the support roles, uh, whether you are an instructor, whether you are a safety officer, or other related uh, support capacities. So let's get into the meat of our conversation. This episode of Buildings on Fires, Taking to the Streets, it's our conversation on reading the building, talking specifically about building era and vintage. And it has everything to do with the age of that building, and more specifically, the particular time in which that building was initially constructed, 
as well as subsequent renovations that may have occurred within that building over the course of its uh, lifespan. So all buildings have a lifespan that starts the day that they are built. And the longer they are around, the more likely you will have a series of at least a couple, if not a significant number of opportunities in which alterations and renovations and changes uh, have occurred to that building that continue to create uh, unusual types of structures that look one way upon our initial arrival, our size up and read, uh, and very well may have a, a number of attributes and characteristics that we need to identify to help, uh, again, determine what our tactical approach may be, understand the strategical objectives and how that building's pr uh, predictability performance may impose and either help us or detract and impose significant risks during the conduct of mission critical operations. Um, I think it's important, again, when we talk about discussing the relevancy and the application of a building's age and how that applies back to the era, and that's our term. Era and vintage has everything to do with an era of time that is not very specific. So as we get into our program, we're gonna talk about these periods of time in which there are very, very specific aspects, both from an architectural design, construction standpoint, construction science standpoint, code, fire protection standpoint, and so forth, that all influence how that building will perform. And if we have a greater degree of understanding of the building's predictability performance, of which era and vintage are really some of the most significant foundation blocks for that insight, then we will be able to really function and perform at a much higher level of efficiency and proficiency and manage the associated risk with a better level of literacy and knowledge. And that's the whole purpose. How can I interface with my buildings? Some things that, again, sometimes are very apparent, but they all fundamentally go back to having this level of understanding, correlating that back to strategy, tactics, and operations. A little bit of insights on, on some of our conversation here, and this may or may not be the first time you've heard about this. There has been quite a bit of conversation about air and vintage. We continue to uh, talk about that in applicable programs here on our, on our podcast. But uh, again, when we talk about air and vintage, we first published uh, this type of insight. It was based upon original research and subsequent modeling that I first uh, conceived and correlated the relevancy of building age, era, and vintage. And that was directly related back to my insights on architecture, engineering, building construction sciences, the advancements and methodologies. We started talking about this in the early uh, parts of 1999. We expanded upon that in the early 2000s. And then by 2004, we had published the first era and vintage narratives modeling and integrated this into our national lecture and seminar programs, our deliveries, as well as our pre, uh, FDIC program presentations. This concept has, over the recent years, has achieved uh, a degree of acceptance and a degree of institutionalization. In other words, it is becoming very apparent within the fire service that by way of either other instructors, other authors, conversations, presentations, writings, and referrals, that there is this acceptance and, to, to a certain degree, a degree of understanding what era and vintage is, However, there's also some inaccuracies that have come, have come about based upon the lack of understanding of its basis and unfortunately some misinterpretation by those authors as to what it means regarding the, the essence of it, 
especially from an architectural and an engineering standpoint. Um, it's also, I think, important to note that, uh, you know, although there are a number of instances through this repetitive sharing, uh, the concept has not really been properly cited and in some instances has been plagiarized uh, with an inaccurate spin and sometimes that inaccuracy has uh, created, again, based upon the individuals that are presenting it, um, a spin that does not reflect what the aspect may be, which leads to, uh, again, inaccuracy in the interpretations and the application. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But regardless, I think the fact is, is that it's being implemented, it's being talked about across the wide spectrum of both uh, as a functional tool in the fire service regarding both size up, decision making regarding buildings, predictability performance under fire, with the end result really being to increase operational effectiveness and support the primary mission. And that's to do our job to support the public and deal with the priorities at hand. As I mentioned, uh, there are a number of programs that are archived uh, from this episode that have relevancy that expand upon it. Uh, some things that we've done on, on uh, again, reading the buildings, our facts series on first arriving construction tactics and safety, as well as our most recent um, uh, publications that we've done both on social media. And we actually did a couple of programs so far this year talking about tactical windows that has everything to do with era and vintage regarding our buildings. So again, as I mentioned, we'll be posting some additional graphics across our social media pages, including fire engineering. And again, follow us on both Facebook, my direct account at uh, Christopher Nom, our buildings on fire account on Facebook, our Twitter handles at command safety, buildings on fire on Twitter, our Instagram, and again, the hashtags of uh, fire engineering, FDIC 2024, FDIC 2023, reading the buildings, ChristopherNom.com, um, fireground leadership, uh, and so forth. But uh, take a look at those items. If you've been following us, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, again, there'll be some additional uh, supplemental information here too, to look forward to that. So again, as I mentioned earlier on, our episode here is a conversation on reading the building, talking about era of vintage. Much of this has a basis on the modeling and the concepts surrounding uh, around the building's facts model. And building facts stands for first arriving, construction, tactics, and safety. Everything that we do can be distilled down to and focused in upon the initial arrival, although we're not going to talk extensively about uh, time factors, what we call the delta T, the, the expanse of time, however short or however long it may be, the aspects of elapsed time on the fire ground have very significant implications on our tactical approach, what we can conduct, and how the building will perform. All buildings have a predictability of performance, the POP, that really are derived from first arriving and the understanding of the construction and how the construction uh, influences tactics and how that also influences the level of safety and the margins that we have to operate under. If you are disregarding any of those aspects, you very likely, with a high degree of probability, very well may be placing both yourself, your partner, and your company and others that are operating on the fire ground at a higher level of risk. And again, when we talk about safety, it's having an appreciation and an understanding in implementing an appropriate balanced level of risk in the conduct of the mission critical uh, operations that we have to initiate and engage in within our buildings on fire. 
Um, I will just reiterate, there are a couple of things here. We talk about the three critical components that are going to lead us into our conversation. And those three, three critical components, again, deal with uh, the building, the compartment, as or fire. It's sort of uh, interchanged. It's building, compartment, and fire, and then also the company. So it's building, compartment, and company. And again, those aspects here, when we talk about the building, all buildings have a predictability of performance that leads us into an acronym called BEAR, which I'll expand upon here in a moment. When we talk about the compartment, it has everything to do with the fire origination within that compartment and the compartment's severity, urgency, and growth, and also the compartment's consideration, as you may have heard me talk about in the past, and our other episodes, the aspects of both building writ, compartment writ, and company level writ. And they fall back upon the aspects of what that acronym stands for, and that is resiliency, integrity, and time. At the company level, it's again, knowledge, skills, and ability, along with human performance related uh, aspects. And ultimately it all goes fundamentally back to the elapse of time. The delta time factor is going to significantly uh, influence and impact um, our capability of providing a, um, uh, an adequate fire flow and flow rate, the application of water within that compartment, within the building to affect uh, the appropriate tactics to support the strategies that supports the mission critical objectives that are present within the building. I mentioned the acronym of BEAR, and again, just to quickly uh, uh, cover that again, BEAR is an acronym dealing with building predictability of performance, the E stands for era and vintage, the alpha for anatomy that ties into the five-star command model, and the R stands for the associated aspects of risk, which relate back to safety, which correlate back to RIT. So risk, safety, and RIT are part of that um, R standpoint, and again, our acronym of BEAR that it's part of our modeling. The five-star command model, so we talked about building anatomy, there are five critical interrelated aspects that really fall under all buildings. If we were to say, look at a new building, look at an old building, and we'll talk about, uh, again, the misnomers of legacy constructed buildings. It's certainly something that unfortunately continues to be a um, misguided term. It's a misapplied term. It's not everything new and everything being legacy. And, and again, through this era in vintage modeling that we will expand upon here, I will provide some additional insights on that. But the one aspect of looking at buildings, there are five fundamental characteristics and functional areas that all buildings share. And again, in our size up conversations in our previous episodes on reading the building, we've talked about what they are. But again, as a lead in talking about building classifications from an era standpoint, it, again, it's very specific. So if I was to talk about looking at a series of buildings that were built from the mid 1800s to the early 1900s, that particular era of that 50 year period, there are very, very specific characteristics that relate back to the building's anatomy, the building's uh, profiling in terms of its occupancy use and occupancy risk and occupancy characteristics that are common to a particular type of occupancy for that building within that particular era of time. The other most critical element, so again, there's five specific elements here. The third most critical element when we talk about the era and vintage of that particular structure regarding its anatomy and occupancy usage 
also includes what are the characteristics that um, relate back to compromise and collapse. The biggest concern that we have when we operate on the fire ground in any type of building on fire deals with what is the susceptibility based upon its predictability performance in terms of when it was built that relates back to the building's resiliency, its integrity over time while we are working where? Either in, around, on top, or underneath of that structure. So buildings in certain eras and vintage may be either highly susceptible to a lesser degree of potential compromise or may very quickly escalate based upon the delta time to a higher propensity and a higher level of risk to either an isolated or catastrophic collapse. So we'll talk about that further. So again, it's building anatomy, it's occupancy profile, use and risk. It is the characteristics of compromise and collapse. And then the fourth item, again, based upon era and vintage, which are defined by when that building was built, there are very specific types of methods and materials of construction that went into that building that are also affected by the fire dynamics. So five pieces here that are part of connecting those dots in our buildings, building anatomy, occupancy profile, use and risk, compromise and collapse, methods and materials of construction, and fire dynamics. How will fire affect structural components? How will fire, based upon the occupancy use, occupancy risk, the layout, the configurations, the square footages, the volumes, the concealed spaces within the buildings, how will they all play out regarding our operations. And again, these are insights. These are learned aspects here that we are not studying. They're not being presented in any textbooks, but we have been talking about these things over the last 20 plus years nationally. And we continue to present these uh, concepts to reinforce our programs on building construction, strategy, tax, operational, our integrated approach here through our annual opportunities that have been afforded us at FDIC. And we hope to, again, continue that conversation in the 2024 uh, programs that are coming up and also through the additional uh, programs that we are going to uh, make available to you, our listeners, through, uh, again, some other opportunities through uh, Clarion and through the uh, media support, both within the Fire Engineering Magazine and also the online opportunities here that uh, we are, are working uh, very diligently to move forward and bring those to uh, fruition and, and actually put them into your hands as a resource. That's, so that's all part of it. So again, when we take a look at era and vintage, again, we are going to be able to recognize within these era of time, there are going to be very specific characteristics that fall under those five character uh, categories and functional areas. Within those aspects, let's uh, just utilize uh, building anatomy, for example. There are... <coughs> excuse me, there are five other subsets that also are of, a, of consideration. Those five subsets that relate back to era and uh, vintage relate that relate back to the perimeter walls, the uh, roof system, the floor and or ceiling systems, the characteristics of the compartment, and the absence or presence of voids. Those are all mission critical when we talk about predictability performance. So when we talk about a building in, an, in a certain era of time, the the next clear step here that we get conditioned, we become trained upon, or that we just program and start becoming more competent in terms of our skill sets is to have an understanding and appreciation of the five-star elements that we just talked about, building anatomy, occupancy profiling, collapse compromise, methods and materials of construction and fire dynamics, and then the next five pieces that, again, are simply uh, 
directly related to them are the characteristics of that building's perimeter walls, roof systems, floor systems, and or ceiling systems, the characteristics of the compartment, it goes back to occupancy profile and risk, and then also the absence or presence of voids because they are all interrelated in those particular aspects. When we talk about the influence of risk, a couple of different things come back to mind here. We talk about RIT that we mentioned here a moment ago, resilience, integrity, time. We've expanded upon that. Again, you don't have to go too far back over the last couple of weeks to take a look at some posts that, uh, again, are available both on some things that we've done on fire engineering, some things that we've done on our individual um, social media posts here that talk about tactical windows, talk about RIT, talk about risk aspects. The origination of the risk matrix that we just recently posted last week had its origination back in a NIOSH report, double line of duty death from uh, the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, double line of duty death of a firefighter and a lieutenant at the time. The NIOSH report in reference is uh, NIOSH report F2012-13. We talked about occupancy risks we talked about those influencers, and again, it built upon and expanded much of what the late Chief Alan Brunacini introduced to us back in the mid to late 1980s, talking about risk and a couple of different aspects of that. The influencers on understanding era and vintage, again, buildings built in a certain period of time are going to react, and those influencers, based upon the five-star model, relate back to three simple areas. It talks about building integrity, which goes back to collapse and compromise over delta time, fire severity, the megawatts of energy over delta time and how they react within the confines of the predictable occupancy, uh, the predictable compartment and how that compartment is is associated with how that building was built in terms of layout, floor systems, and, and so forth. And then lastly, compartment and company performance. So these are all common factors that have never really been discussed adequately that we continue to advocate and try to connect the dot on the dots to to create a very robust, applicable process and model that uh, again bridges the gap between engineering architecture, the built environment, and the things that each and every one of us do every time we show up on scene and we engage and interface with a variety of buildings that we either have a little bit of knowledge on or we are completely ignorant to, then we may recognize a particular occupancy type being a residential occupancy, but again, we may not recognize the occupancy's level of risk. And again, that, that correlation is, is that I can go to a residential fire in a building built, let's say, in the 1940s that is 4,000 square feet in, in, in size in square footage. But if I'm showing up at a residential occupancy built in 2010, similar square footages, there are going to be uniquely different levels of risk that, are, again, are going to give us a different level of delta time that's going to affect the building's integrity, it's going to affect fire severity, it's going to affect both the company and compartment performance over delta time. And, and those are the things, guys, that we're trying to make the connection at. We're trying to correlate how these things can come together in a very concise manner if we change our methodology, change our process, um, and infuse in our tactical modeling 
the ability to stretch the line, work efficiently, engage, get into that building and do the right thing at the right time for the right reason while having consideration for tactical windows. The elapse of time that Givet is either allowing us to operate or that is very, very limited that we've got to be operating at the top of our game with limited uh, time opportunities to do what is necessary based upon the priorities of that incident. One of the leading causes or, or much of what this is coming about from, we'll talk about lessons and learnings, um, there was a uh, uh, root cause analysis study that was done at the University of Georgia. Many of you are familiar with the NIOSH Top 5, the uh, NFFF, National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, U.S. Fire Administration's uh, Top 6 domains regarding uh, contributors toward line of duty deaths. But the University of Georgia put together a root cause analysis that looked at a number of attributes of, again, line of duty deaths coming out of the NIOSH reports, of which one is the most telling when we talk about why we are having contributors toward line of duty deaths, and inclusive of near misses on the fire ground, and that is the inadequate preparation for or the anticipation of adverse events during operations. And that goes back fundamentally to not understanding the building, not understanding the compartment, not understanding the compartment, and they revolve around four specific reads that, again, we continue to advocate and discuss. They are part of our modeling approach. And again, those four reads on the, on the fire ground are, again, reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the compartment, and reading the company. And again, we've talked about these. I would refer you back to a couple of our episodes uh, uh, in uh, 2022 that we talked about those four reads in, in a greater level of detail. The other aspects of this goes back to, again, in terms of the importance of why we need to associate this with era and vintage, is that when we talk about fires within our compartments in certain types of buildings with certain types of materials based upon when they were built, new or old, in terms of the simplicity of that, the strategic and tactical considerations um, in terms of where that fire originates, uh, is it a compartment fire that goes into the structure? It is a structure fire that, again, extends into the compartment. Is there an internal, external application that extends to the compartment? Is there an external condition that affects the structure? These are all, in a simple standpoint, four critical aspects of which when and how and what uh, constitutes the methods and the materials and other characteristics of a building that again, result back into how we classify our eras and vintage will be contributors toward our fire ground operations. I'll just lead you through a couple of things here when we talk about fire within the compartment. Again, if you're not thinking about this, you're, you're operating under some uh, false pretenses or we just have not, someone has not done a adequate job to drill down to the next layer and levels of conversation that influence tactics, that also influence our company and command decision-making. So I talked about the four aspects of structure and compartment, external and internal, but there are a series of things that we've put out in our integrated uh, conversations and programs talking about compartment to structure. So when we talk about fire communicating and, again, its relationship back to era and vintage, there are going to be differences regarding the elapse of time, however short or however expansive time that's going to either have negligible or significant influencers. So negligible means there's not gonna be any consideration. And it might be something that's only a limiting condition that 
again, relates into an isolated compromise that is entirely recoverable, or it may be something very significant. We talk about catastrophic structural or floor or assembly system failures. Sometimes the entire structure may be prone to catastrophic uh, collapse based upon inherent characteristics of predictability performance that are all based upon when and how that building was built in a particular period of time. So we're leading into this here in a very step-by-step uh, uh, -step basis. So just quickly here, I wanna say this. So we've got compartment to structure. It's structure to compartment. These are the types of fires that can occur. Compartment to compartment, compartment to external, compartment to external to structure. So think of it this way, we can have auto extension of a fire that originates in a particular room. And by compartment, we're talking about a room or space occupied or unoccupied, but some type of compartment that extends by through auto extension to the external. We have a surface extension and it gets up into the eave line and now it's back into the structure. So we have compartment external to structure. We have external to compartment. We have external to structure. We have external to compartment to structure. And then also we have compartment to compartment to structure. So these are some things here that will lend themselves through to some additional robust degrees of conversation and discussion. If you've never heard about this, then again, we're doing the right thing of introducing you to some different concepts, maybe challenging the paradigms, the status quo, and hopefully increasing your building and fire literacy, which is all about our program, our series, and our objectives. The challenge for today's incident commanders and operating companies on the modern fire ground is to clearly recognize building performance factors and the inherent construction characteristics that are fundamental to the manner in which a building's anatomy and fire conditions present, present themselves at an evolving incident and how to ascertain and distinguish how they or they will uh, subsequently perform under fire duress and the lapse of time. How do we read the building, understand predictability performance, and do so in a timely fashion, either as that first arriving company, company officers, sizing up, initiating action at the tactical level, or the incoming uh, commanding officer who is now taking the criteria, the information, the intel that, it's, that has been communicated by the first arriving, conducting a command level size up, doing intel, getting the 360, recon, whatever they may be, but again, robustly uh, expanding upon that size up and hopefully being able to recognize through a set of skill-based and conditioning to develop the knowledge, skills, and abilities, the skill set level, to assess that building as rapidly as we can, as efficiently as we can, and as accurately as we can to influence what decisions that we decide upon that we now employ to be able to go to work and, and do our business. So those are some of those aspects. But again, the, the I'll say this, predicting a potential structural collapse is probably one of the most challenging tasks facing incident commanders and company officers at a fire scene. Usually the lack of information on the construction of the building, the fire size, the fire location, fire burn time, conditions of the building, the fuel load, et cetera. Again, all these make the task sometimes nearly impossible. But again, however, if there's key building considerations, if we understand some of these attributes and look at them concisely and precisely, and sometimes either project or anticipate um, or with accurate knowledge, uh, if we're able to put these indicators together, when they are presented 
and recognized and identified for either their relevancy and importance to operations, they will dramatically influence operations and potentially increase a more positive outcome for that operations. I mentioned fire ground risk, and again, Chief Allen Brunacini introduced uh, the three phases of, of risk and, and really talked about a couple of things that uh, have been echoed throughout the fire service going all the way back to the mid to the late 1980s. Uh, again, the most common aspect of that was risk a lot to save a lot, risk a little to save little, and risk nothing for what is already lost. But if I was to challenge and we were in a classroom or having a conversation at the kitchen table or a group of us uh, in a, a training setting, we probably would get a variety of different perspectives of what risk looks like. The risk assessment and the rules of engagement that Chief Brunacini talked about, uh, talked about high probabilities of success, either high probability, marginal, or low probabilities, low risk, high risk, and medium risk. Those have been expanded out to a risk matrix. But again, my risk and what risk looks at looks like to me as a seasoned and experienced fire officer or commander may be something entirely different to a less experienced or to an individual who may be more risk prone or maybe more safety adverse. So risk is not the same. And that's why when we uh, worked on the line of duty death program in Philadelphia, that particular report expands upon the risk profile, the risk matrix. It has been vetted, it has been utilized extensively through a number of NIOSH reports over a number of years going actually now on 13 years. So I would encourage you to take a look at that if this is the first time that you're hearing about it. But again, that risk profile, we've posted some things online, talks about normal risk, marginal risk, critical, catastrophic, negligible, severity levels, and probability, everything from low, marginal, to high, to extreme. They have everything to do with the intermediate level of insights when we talk about predictability performance. We can look at a template to say that, again, a building built in the 1980s, residential or commercial, uh, of a certain type of construction, building anatomy, certain type of occupancy use, based upon the collapse and compromise characteristics, which are, again, are associated back to how was that building built in that particular era of time, uh, what methods and materials were utilized in that period of time? Were they conventional construction? Were they fully dimensional? Were they nominal dimension? Or are we dealing with a variety of different types of engineered structural systems, the introduction of lightweight materials at a particular period of time, and again, the aspects of fire dynamics. So something as simple as that, that that residential building, let's say built in 1984, we can say that that residential structure is gonna be very likely to have a certain type of square footage that was common in that era and vintage based upon architecture. We understand that there are certain construction features, architectural layouts, the introduction of, of uh, larger family spaces, a reduction of the kitchen space, the introduction of pop-outs and build-outs, um, the introduction of fog rooms, uh, uh, or excuse me, of frog rooms, of family rooms that are located over the garage in some areas. I mean, there's a whole variety of aspects here that revolve back around the introduction of lightweight construction, engineered structural systems, and how they are all affected by fire dynamics. So we talked about those five pieces here earlier, these are just building upon those elements. And again, we're just trying to lay the groundwork for some of you that may not have heard about this or may have just listened to some other program, 
seen some of our writings, hear, heard some of our program presentations, or are hearing to other instructors and other advocates that are out there that are, are doing some similar aspects here, as I've talked about the uh, institutionalization of this, that we're hearing some things, but they may not be accurately co uh, connected, um, or there is a spin to them that may not be quite uh, precise. The aspects of RIT, again, are directly associated with resiliency, integrity, and time, and also severity, urgency, and growth. So there are some things here that uh, revolve around those particular particular aspects to our oper operations here. So I'm going to move forward and talk a little bit more about um, some aspects of uh, the building occupancy classifications. I'm going to sort of lead you through just a couple of uh, characteristics here in terms of the evolution of the NFP 220 standards. So many of us would talk about classification, reading the building, uh, regardless of when the building was built. We sort of, actually, we, we deliberately do not always associate the era of which that building was built. We may talk a little bit about it, but we don't understand how to connect those uh, dots in a concise manner with these other predictabilities and other aspects. And what I'm presenting here to you, again, is something that has to be learned. It's not something that you can just read a short uh, summation on. It's something that needs to be, in my opinion, integrated into current and future publications. Uh, certainly the textbooks that are being written uh, continue to follow a certain uh, cookie cutter templated approach, which again, um, has not has remained relatively unchanged over the last 40 to 50 years. And uh, again, we've talked about the uh, history and the legacy of size up and, and how size up really originated back in the late 1920s, mid to late 1920s, and was starting to be formalized in the first um, fire service textbook that was written. And that was the IAFC, the International Association of Fire Chiefs, Fire Chiefs Handbook that was first published in 1932. And again, we did an entire podcast program on that uh, last year. So I'll make reference back to that. So let's just uh, transition over to a uh, little bit of a conversation here, talking about uh, just a, a little bit of insights. And then we're going to wrap up our conversation just talking about you know, what, what does this era and vintage uh, really refer back to? So, and I'll, and I'll paint this picture. Some of you are, are familiar with the terminology that, again, is becoming more consistent. I hear it all the time when I'm out teaching nationally. It's, uh, it's our guys and gals that say, well, it's, uh, it's modern construction and it's legacy construction. And suddenly everything gets, gets pigeonholed and cubbyholed into heritage construction. Well, when we ask a simple question, when did either one start or end? And there's a great deal of difficulty and there's quite a bit of, of a conversation that comes about saying, well, when did modern construction come about? Simple question than that. So think about this. When did modern construction originate? And there may be a lot of different perspectives, many assumptions, unfortunately, that are being made, and unfortunately, just a lack of knowledge. We just don't recognize or realize, depending upon how much experience when we got into the fire service, the history behind it, and that is part of the problem. We really, truly need to educate, in a different modeling standpoint, the current generation of fire service personnel, the up-and-coming company officers, the newly minted company and commanding officers that, again, have never been exposed to the accuracy and the technical 
need of truly understanding the built environment, building construction far more than what they are typically getting through the academies, through the current uh, essentials, books on firefighting, and the continuing lack of information that is absent in any type of command level leadership, tactical approaches of fighting fire in modern buildings. And that's inclusive. When we talk about modern buildings, it's both new and old. Our built environment today that also represents everything that has come about from however deep into the past to that stuff that is being built or has been built, as well as the new construction that is currently imposing significant challenges because we have not written the rule book on how to fight fires in some of the newer hybrid or evolving structures. And unfortunately, we see this time and time again with very significant challenging fires that are creating significant property loss. And uh, in many instances, most recently, we're also seeing the impact on civilian contract workers who are losing their lives in these fires. Then also the susceptibility of risk to the civilians that may be working and or occupying these structures. And ultimately the increased level of actual or perceived levels of risk and the need for a much more adaptive fire ground management model based upon when these buildings were built, based upon the five and five. Understanding the five fundamental characteristics, the five related corollaries that we talk about regarding building features of them, understanding the delta time, tactical windows, predictability performance. And again, it all starts with our size up and having some insights that are either a learned or assumed, but something that's much more than just uh, fly by night and just sheer luck or, or the lack of information. It's, it's much more than just stretching the line and going in. It has to be something more that's in a process that is a fish that's both efficient and allows us to do what's necessary in the foreground. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, building classifications here that's going to lead us into the uh, focal point of how do I classify my buildings. And again, we're going to supplement this information here that you are listening to with some online information. So we talk about building classifications. Um, clearly, building classifications, if we go back to the codes, those code classifications fall under the um, NFPA 220 standard, they also fall under the International Building and International Code Council. Occupancy types, occupancy classifications fall under the NFPA 1, 101, and the 5000 standard. And again, much of this was influenced by early building construction characteristics, both in terms of uh, early building fire protection, life safety codes and standards. We go all the way back to the National Board of Fire Underwriters and the first National Building Code that actually was published in 1900 and was formalized with the 1915 edition. And again, we've talked about some of these details in a greater extent in some of our other programs. But again, we've got to understand the genesis and how these relate back to them. The evolution of building typing, which has changed. So the NFPA 220 standard has given us our basic classifications of type one through five, and that's not nearly enough. So some of you may be arriving on scene, you've been conditioned, you have SOPs, SOGs, that are part of your size of protocol to say I've got a building of type one or class one construction and also recognize that what you may be utilizing may be based upon a different code that continues to be utilized in your municipality. However, your classification may not be consistent with 
classifications outside of your region or geographical boundary. And I'll just say this, that there are in some areas uh, referencing back to a particular building type or class that does not align to current NFPA 220 standards and nomenclature or IBC or ICC related referencing. But it is something that has been very consistent. It's part of the paradigm that makes up a local or regional way of doing business. It has been institutionalized as part of your entire database, operation, strategy, tactics. It's what you call what you call, but it may not be what the rest of the country may call things. So there are some unique applications, especially when we talk about building types, whether I talk about brownstone, graystones, talk about triple deckers, whether I talk about walk-ups, two-overs. I mean, there's different terminologies related back to a building typing that are reflected by methods, materials, construction, air, and vintage. Whether I talk about something in Denver, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, New York City, Washington, Miami, um, or all the way out to the East Coast from Seattle down to LA and so forth. So there are a lot of other aspects here that don't fall under those elements. The evolution and changes of, of our codes from really around the 1867 era all the way to the current are influenced by some of those aspects over the decades of time. And again, I refer back to the National Board of Fire Underwriters, the initial uh, National Bob, uh, Fire Code or the National uh, uh, Building Code that came about, again, that 1900 to 1915 era. If we understand those aspects, we also understand that as certain buildings were built, and those buildings built in the 1800s have a certain classification. They're, they are very common regarding methods, materials, collapse and compromise, fire dynamics, layouts, square footages, size. I mean, these are all very, very consistent with how they were built from an engineering, architectural, and emerging technology standpoint that if we understand those characteristics, they do apply to our operations on the fire ground. So the NFPA um, 220 standard was first drafted in 1952. Yeah, the first issue came about in 1954, and that is inclusive of 16 additions that have come about over the last 69 years. And again, they primarily are associated with, when we talk about types one, fire resistive, type two, non-combustible, type three, ordinary, type four, heavy timber, type five, wood or wood framing, there are unique characteristics. So I can talk about type five wood framing, but again, it's going to be different with a 1980s vintage. It's going to be different from a 2000 era vintage framing system. It's going to be different than a 1940s or late 1800s or mid 1800 period. So wood is not going to be consistent. There are going to be very, very specific aspects to that. Inclusive of that, when we talked about the life cycle of a building, the, the older the building, the more likely there are going to be significant periods in which renovations occurred. Uh, and I'll just give you a couple of, uh, of insights. Uh, again, the introduction of electricity in the 1920s created significant changes in our buildings that were built prior to that standpoint. But in the 1980s, as electricity was becoming more common, that was a trigger point for some significant changes. I mentioned 1900s to 1915, the introduction and application and the adoption of the National Building Code started changing, again, how buildings were built. The introduction of concrete construction, the introduction and the movement away from cast iron to a variety of different types of structural steels came about in certain eras of time. So there's these trigger points of both architecture, engineering, and technology that brought forward 
different methods and materials that affects the building's integrity from a compromise and collapse. They are affected by occupancy type and usage. And again, the anatomy of the building that it's related back to the area and how fire travels, how the fire dynamics of the building will affect our operations. So um, as something as simple as a modernization period in the 1960s, we saw a lot of older buildings being modernized. The energy crisis of, of the mid-1970s from 73 to around 76, again, the energy crisis started creating more and more voids in our older buildings as large open spaces and our type threes became reduced down. So why is it that we can typically encounter upon arrival in a building of type three construction, either a taxpayer or something of a larger capacity, we should be anticipating that we're going to have drop ceilings of two or more voided spaces upon initial arrival. If I've got an acoustic tile ceiling, I've got my transom levels that have been covered over on my street side, you need to be aware that there's gonna be certain features based upon when the building was built, based upon the life cycle of the building that are going to influence where and how we conduct certain things, what is done in a concurrent or sequential standpoint, the need for resources to open up or to stretch the lines, the immediacy of fire suppression activities, an understanding of how fire will travel within certain voids that are inherent within the buildings that we should anticipate. So we are, we've got some insights on this, but nothing nearly enough when we talk about those related elements. So again, we're just painting the picture, trying to give you some introduction to the concept. So we talk about era and vintage, and I've mentioned that, again, our culprit in, in this predictability and, and unfortunately the, the problematic conditions that exist out there is that in the early studies, Underwriters Laboratory, through their conversation and the introduction of the term legacy construction. And it has become very commonly used. We see it online, I see it, and I hear it in, in conferences and settings. But when I talk to the individuals that are utilizing it, we get into a conversation, whether we're, we're, we're presenting a program or we're the participants out in the class, just to, again, fine tune what is it that you are presenting, what it is that you're correlating, how does this play out? Uh, we really end up recognizing that there is a degree of illiteracy that is out there and that, uh, again, it all goes back to, well, it's modern construction and it's legacy construction. But I'm here to say that through this era and vintage modeling and predictability, that if we classify our buildings and have a level of appreciation of how they will perform on the fire ground that's based upon learning more about these buildings based upon when they were built, based upon the five characteristics that we talked about, based upon the five and five regarding RIT, regarding a predictability, regarding the, and having an appreciation of the delta time, we are going to be able to perform and do our jobs much more efficiently. So let's talk a little bit further about um, these aspects. So we mentioned that the uh, correlation here is critical when we talk about uh, building anatomy that is directly related to era and vintage. We talked about occupancy use, occupancy risk, and other characteristics that fall out of the number two bay of that. The third feature, again, is the characteristics that are inherent based upon when that building was built to compromise and collapse. Because again, my concern while operating in the fire ground, tactically or strategically, is 
Will that building allow us to conduct our mission critical operations before something bad happens due to exposure impingement based upon heat propagation, based upon fire severity, based upon uh, fire degradation? How will heat and or flame and fire impingement, fire propagation, how will that affect that building integrity to allow us, meaning the companies, to operate in, around, underneath, uh, um, or on top of that structure? Perform ventilation, conduct our, our ventilation, our, our initial entry, conduct a search, uh, victim identification, removal, stretching the line, fire suppression, fire control, fire mitigation, or just making that entry, performing the search and getting out before the bad things end up happening. That is the root of all of this level of understanding, understanding the aspects of the acronym of BEAR, applying the application of RIT, and again, everything surrounding and going around the application of and the implications of delta time, the elapse of time in our tactical windows, again, are going to vary based upon when these buildings were built, based upon these other attributes. So hopefully you're gaining some insights that there are some very concise connections here, and it's not overly elaborate, but once you see and materialize and, and are able to understand how these, it's really fundamentally six pieces that come together here. If you understand the basis, I have the understanding you can start with, again, modern construction, a hybrid constructed building. You can talk about a building with a cross laminate timber. You could talk about a five over one building with some of our new podium constructed building and start zeroing in on key features there without being so overwhelmed. We talk about, all right, tell me something about a building of type one construction based upon when it was built and then trying to go through the typical types of, you know, 15 to 18 chapters of information that are typically coming out of any one of the building construction textbooks that's out there that are nowhere near adequate enough. We are operating at a grammar school level of knowledge where we really need to have a graduate level of technical competencies to understand our built environment. And this is hopefully part of that process. It is the first series of steps. So I've mentioned here that, again, we talked about the 220 standard Fundamentals types one through five construction. There are critical benchmarks that have occurred all the way and beginning with the Tenement Housing Act of 1867, a pinnacle year of uh, the period of uh, 1900 to 1915. And then again, there are a number of key years over from that period of the early 1900s all the way till now that created certain characteristics of our buildings. I'll say this, so I'll talk a little bit about some, some aspects of legacy. Uh, you may not realize that, again, in the 1930s, our buildings, and actually, um, I'll go back to this, that as recent as the 1900s, our buildings were classified significantly differently in terms of uh, typing. So um, if we talk about, let's say, um, uh, 1900s, so the, the, the first national building code came about in that 1900 period. Well, when buildings were built from, from 1905 actually to around 1915, there was only uh, three different types of building classification. There was type one, which was frame construction. There was type two, which was called um, um, non-fireproof construction of which there were two subsets. So we had type two in 1905 through 1915, that's called non-fireproof construction of which we had both ordinary and we also had mill construction. And then the third classification at that time was called fireproof construction. So 
We had some differences that occurred in that period of time all the way to 1915, 1938, and a, a significant adjustment on the building codes. They increased the maximum permittable sizes of the structure, square footages, depending upon concealed spaces. We saw the introduction of fireproofing uh, or fire resistiveness in the building uh, all the way up to 1968, where we also saw some changes. So there are these periods of time relative to life safety, relative to construction and materials, relative to building compromise and collapse that we need to be, number one, aware of, and then secondly, have a roadmap of how to apply them in my operational profiling, my strategy, my tactics, my operations on the fire ground. So lastly here, I just want to introduce you to what these periods of times are. And again, this is something that we developed initially in the late 1990s, around 1999, early 2000s. We fine-tuned it and started publishing this in the 2004 to 2006 era, and have been refining that to something that I believe has been consistent with the correlation here of history, of architecture, of engineering, of fire dynamics, the insights that is coming out of research and development. We actually do a program now and we're hoping to present this class, uh, hopefully uh, based upon the review process at FDIC 2024. We are offering and, and doing sort of a current hybrid program nationally. And this class is called The Influence of Building Construction, Occupancy Risk, and the Insights from Research on Company and Command Decision-Making. And within that particular program, both the short four-hour version and the full-day program, we actually get into a much greater degree of conversation of how, again, legacy construction can be further differentiated and defined based upon some, some very clear uh, alignment of how architecture and engineering, um, the advancements of technology, the introduction of different types of building materials that affects the anatomy, that are affected differently by fire dynamics and uh, uh, the implications on a building, how they all play out in our, in our overall operational standpoint. So I'll, I'll give you this. So here's our term. So we start off with um, classical. So if the term is this, this era of time, classical construction is that period of pre-1700s. And in that period, again, we don't have a lot of buildings within um, the North America uh, area uh, or certainly within our, our within the states but there are buildings of a few in in some specific uh, areas that are pre-1700 that we classify as classical and again there are very definable characteristics that come out of that vernacular is the era uh, or vernacular construction vernacular buildings is that era of time from the 1700s to the 1800s that 100 year period there were very specific uh, types of buildings that were built that were based upon the uh, the trades. It was based upon the types of workmanship. It was based upon very specific uh, types of materials that were found in geographical areas. I will say this to you to try to correlate this is that vernacular architecture, those buildings that were either uh, timber construction or buildings of ordinary construction that were being developed in that, in that time frame, are very unique geographically or regionally throughout the United States. Vernacular construction or vernacular architectural architecture refers back to this concept of local resources, local expertise, local trade. 
So if I go to Boston, I may have a predominance of Irish uh, immigrants who came about. I have a certain type of clay that is extracted from that region that has certain characteristics that are handmade that give us our brick for our masonry construction. I have a certain type of species of trees that is indicative of the forest surrounding that particular region that go into my building. <clears throat> the techniques that go into that building are derived from the types of trades and the things that are handed down through, uh, again, the, the trades, the, the kinds of labor, the types of um, workmanship that was handed down was not clearly written. We didn't have schools or, or universities, not until much later on in the mid-1800s. So it's all local level. Well, the types of buildings and the materials utilized in, let's say, Boston or Philadelphia or New York are going to be different than the types of materials that were available, as well as the techniques that went into the buildings in Chicago or in the Wild West, let's say, within the emerging areas of Denver all the way to the West Coast. It wasn't until the, the industrial era of the 1800s that we refer to as heritage construction. And that period of heritage construction refers from the period of the 1800s to around 1850, and that's called old heritage construction. And that period of around, again, give or take, there's gonna be some latitude here, of around the 1850s to 1900s. So recognize that sometimes these are not hard and fast. There is gonna be some overlap depending upon how things caught up around the country. But for the most, uh, for the, for the most there is consistencies based upon building anatomy and era and characteristics. And the reason we started classifying the separation around the mid-1800s is that around the Civil War era of time, very significant changes went into the types of structures, especially both residential and the emergence of industrial buildings. We saw changes in ordinary construction, type three construction that we commonly refer to. We saw the introduction and, and changes in both mill, uh, semi-mill types of structures that were occurring, again, geographically around the United States. We also saw different types of materials being utilized. Because of the reconstruction of the South and the expansion uh, of, uh, of and movement going from the East Coast into the Midwest to the Western states, we saw a lot of changes in both construction techniques, methods, and materials. We saw newer types of technologies. We saw the movement away from heavier timber, the introduction of cast iron, just as an example. Cast iron changed the way buildings were being built. And again, they were defined by per particular periods of time. Going from handmade bricks to machine-made bricks because of the reconstruction in post-Civil War era of around that mid-1800s dramatically changed the, the manner in which buildings were now going to perform, their susceptibility to compromise, collapse, fire dynamics, and so forth. So heritage construction as an era is that period of old and new, 1800s to 1850s, and around 1850 to the 1900s. We call the period of the 1900s to around 1949, 1950, the era of legacy construction. And that gives way to what we refer to as conventional construction in that era of the 1950s through up to around 1979, 1980. Those classifications, and again, UL, when you hear the term legacy construction, primarily refers to 
buildings that do not fall under the the modern era of construction, which we uh, constitute as being around the 1980s. In that period of time, again, there's and we can get into the details of it, but uh, our our uh, limitation of time restricts us from from getting into that level of detail. But around, and again, it's going to be slightly different in certain geographical areas around the U.S., but around the late 70, 1970s, early 1980s, we saw a dramatic change in introduction and application of lighter weight construction, assemblies, and features. We saw the introduction and movement toward parallel cord uh, trusses. We saw the introduction of wooden I-beams that are different from the 80s to what kind of I-beams we have currently. But we consider that term to be more accurate conventional construction in that period of time, again, whereas UL refers to modern construction, they allude to it, but they don't concisely indicate that as that, again, it refers back to lightweight construction. But I will also say this, if that if you don't understand it, is that lighter weight construction was actually introduced in the late 1950s, 1959, 1960. It was codified in 1964 based upon the dressing, based upon the lumber industry. So the term light, lighter weight construction, which became institutionalized back in the early first edition of Brannigan's Building Construction for the Fire Service book in 1972, brought us what we still continue to utilize is that term of lightweight construction, which is a misnomer. It should be now referred to as engineered structural systems, assemblies, components, and so forth. So just quickly, I've talked about classical construction, pre-1700s, vernacular construction, that era of the 1700s to the 1800s, heritage construction, both old and new, from 1800 to 1850. And again, a little bit of an overlap from 1800 to, uh, 1850 to the 1900s. Legacy construction is our term that we continue to advocate and promote, and the characteristics of the building from 1900 to around 1949. And the reason 1949 is that period is that, again, post-World War II, we saw the movement away from raftered construction. We saw the movement and introduction of plywood. Again, there are specific periods of time where new methods and materials of construction were introduced in terms of both how the buildings are built, the materials that went into them, and their susceptibility from fire. And that is the whole basis of all of this. So when we talk about the 1980s going forward, the 1980s is really the introduction and the movement of our modern era of construction. The engineering uh, components that came into play, uh, we've actually classified as two different types. The era of 1980s to around the 2000s is type one modern construction. And that era of time from around the 2000, uh, the, the 2000 period here in, in the, uh, the new century to current is type two. I will say this, and again, we'll leave it for another point of conversation, is that <clears throat> lightweight construction that may have gone into buildings, residential or commercial buildings, the introduction of hybrid structures in that period of time are going to be different in that 20-year period than some of the newer types of engineered structural components that have evolved, that have been introduced, that have been finited. Uh, that also have different types of terms. When I talk about laminate veneer, parallel strand lumber, we talk about an entirely different type of engineered component that's part of a, uh, an assembly, that's part of a system that is more common in the 2000 to current era, the last 23 years, that was not even present in our buildings 
from the 1980s through the 2000 era of time. We are also seeing the introduction of hybrid construction systems from around, again, 2000 till current. We see a variety of different hybrid constructed buildings that we call composite engineered systems from around 2000 till 10 till now. So you're seeing that there's this subset of other classifications. And then we have our mass or heavy timbered, new introduction of heavy timber construction, which is now part of the new International Building Code. We see a new type of type four construction. So it is not type four construction heritage from the 1800s, really 1900s. We now are seeing a new type of, of uh, heavy timbered or mass timber construction that is inclusive of both cross laminate timber, mass timber construction or heavy timber, the new type four classifications that is allowing us to build a variety of different <clears throat> low rise and high rise construction. And we continue to see a variety of different hybrid construction buildings that have a variety of different classifications based upon the 220 standard that also have the latitude based upon the performance standards of both the International Building Code, the International Fire Code, and the performance basis that those codes now have been giving us, along with the continuing revisions and the adoptions of new building component systems and capabilities that give architects, engineers, contractors, and developers a significant degree of latitude to build a variety of different structures that do not fall under the classical realm of what some of you may have either been trained to, may have been introduced to, but do not have nearly enough of insights on just because of the lack of information that's out there to uh, be able to be more adaptive on today's fire ground. So again, we are going to post some of the uh, uh, documents here. We're going to post some of the graphics, some of the templates as a uh, as a support uh, element here to, again, as you listen to the podcast program, hopefully we'll make a connection. So if you're listening to our program somewhere in the near future, go back to the uh, <clears throat> the period of time here in the mid-July uh, time frame here. And again, if you are a continuer follower of our programs, you'll be able to quickly find some of this information and be able to connect some dots. We hope to have a webinar series coming up here either that'll be part of our up and coming series here through fireengineering.com or an independent webinar program that we have on our uh, independent uh, social media pages. So just keep an eye out, follow us, like the pages, do whatever you want to do on it. We do encourage you to follow forward. We do have a new, um, either a web page um, or a group that'll be coming up calling, uh, and we're still not sure on, on what the term may be. It's either going to be reading the fire ground or reading the buildings, but keep an eye on that. We're, again, we're working through uh, with our good friends at fireengineering.com and trying to figure out how to really make a robust uh, degree of information available to help support today's fire service, emerging current practicing or seasoned veterans that are out there to make sense of, of, of a uh, of a fire ground in a, in a built landscape of what we have out there in the streets to give us some, some better 
uh, tactical edge to do the job, protect our personnel under the most adverse of conditions, still allow us to, to operate within the structures, but to do so with a higher degree of literacy, a balanced degree of safety uh, that matches up with our tradition that is defining of our, of our job, our fire service, and each and every one of us that are working in the field. So a lot of ground that we've covered here in our program. We actually went over a little bit in terms of our conversation, but again, in order to make sense of this, whether you're listening to it, again, this is going to be a, a great program to uh, <clears throat> hopefully be able to do as a webinar to give you some of the uh, visuals that go along with it. But we will do our best to support that through social media. I really encourage you guys to reach out. If you have some specific questions that come about, reach out to uh, to me through social media. You can find our, our email, my email address. Again, things are very accessible. If we want to have a conversation uh, regarding maybe a Zoom one-on-one, -on -one, but literally an email away, phone call away. We really thank you tremendously for following and listening in our podcast. There are a lot of great other programs that are part of the cadre of programs at Fire Engineering on the podcast and on the webinar series that are both archived as well as the upcoming programs that are live now with our new fo uh, formatting here. Many of you are, are watching this either on YouTube or as part of the uh, online visual, and many others of you are listening to the audio program. But we are going to make some uh, some uh, adjustments here to the program and maybe try to do some, some, some screenshots here, some things in our upcoming programs. I will say this, our next program is scheduled for August 24th, that's next month. It comes on the heel of the 20, of the 45th anniversary of the wall bombs fire, FDNY. We're going to talk about some insights of that fire. You can actually go back to, again, go back five years. We actually did a 40th anniversary program that's in the archives. We had an opportunity to talk with a retired Deputy Fire Chief, FDNY, uh, Vinnie Dunn, talking about that particular event. And again, it's a great, great program. If you want to listen in on that, go back to the archives. Again, five years ago, that we talked about it in in, uh, in that time frame. But look forward to our next program here on fireengineering.com podcast, podcast radio. Our program will be available on August 24th. And we'll talk about that along with a couple of other uh, events. Again, I certainly encourage you to listen in on our program, future programs, go back into the archives to make some sense of it. Look forward to seeing you in the streets, on your city, in your town, through some of our other upcoming uh, scheduled classes. We are all over the United States here delivering programs regionally, as well as uh, some of the things that you're going to find that you will only find here on fireengineering.com, on social media, uh, certainly on the Clarion fire rescue group. So until next time, this is Chris Nam signing off. Until again, next time, on a, I'll read this right off of our, our sheet here. Until next time, companies are in quarters and off the air. Stay safe, but keep in mind there's a job being worked somewhere in your street, in your city, across the country, and around the world, doing what we do best in being who we are, and that's firefighters. Take care, stay safe, and see you next time.